Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Acts chapter 5, we're up to today. And from verse 1, reading in the ESV, it says this, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Immediately she fell down at his feet feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Just a light (laughs) and fairly simple text before us this morning. So I think we should pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you that all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. We thank you that even the tough stuff is super important. Lord, we thank you for this passage before us today. We pray that by your spirit, you would illuminate to us your word, that you would captivate our hearts Lord, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would truly, Lord, come and convict us, Lord, of of righteousness, of sin and judgment. That you would draw us to the cross and cause us to fall on our knees and worship King Jesus. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So the good thing about doing a series in Scripture and the way that we work through a passage is that we don't get to skip stuff. And sometimes when we get to a passage like Acts 5, the the desire might be that, well, this is difficult, so I wanna skip it. But we're not gonna do that because God's Word is good. And the thing about God's Word is it should cause us to ask questions. And we need to understand that this passage before us today is one of the most hotly debated passages that that you could probably read about. If you read 10 different scholars, 10 different commentaries, you're probably gonna get 10 different opinions about what different people think this passage is saying, what God wants the church to know in this passage. So today's gonna be a little bit different from a typical David Shepherd sermon. You guys know normally, you know, we like to tie the sermon up in a nice pretty bow. We like to use alliteration and we like to bring three Ps, four S's, whatever it might be, so that you can take your morsel home and say, praise God and chew on that all week. Today's gonna be a little different. Today, what I wanna do is I wanna invite you into my process. What I wanna do today is I actually wanna propose an idea of what I think this passage is saying to add to the conversation. I don't see this as a full stop, but what I do is I see this as a conversation starter. 
And I would love for all of us to go away as we wrestle with this and say, all right, in your, in your life groups this week and just in conversations that you have is say, man, what is God saying to us? But as I've sat with this passage this week and, and looked at a whole variety of things, yeah, it poses some questions, right? And many of you here have young children and like me, your children are probably excellent at asking questions, amen? My youngest son, Benji, is a classic for asking what I would call irrelevant questions. For example, watching Survivor the other night, don't tell me, we're behind, I don't know who's won yet. But we're watching Survivor and Benji comes in and sort of snuck in out the back and he just says, as he was watching Tribal Council, now for those of you who don't follow Survivor, Tribal Council is what happens at the end of a show where all the people who are stranded on the beach vote and they vote someone out of the game. The last person standing wins $500,000, right? That's a simplified version of Survivor. So Benji comes along, standing behind us, without us really realising he was even there as we're watching Tribal Council. And he just says, what happens if they don't vote? (laughs) To which we kind of look around and be like, well, that wouldn't happen. To which he says, but what if they did? What if they didn't vote? I'm like, well, they... They wouldn't not vote. They always vote because you have to vote. He goes, yeah, but what if they didn't vote? Anyone understand what I'm talking about here? The, the frustrations that rise within your soul. Now, when, when an irrelevant or a, or a question like this is asked, there's two ways you can go. You can either just commit and dive in and you'll land at one of two places. You'll either land at, at the point where you say, because God made everything. Or you say, because humans are sinful. (laughs) That's one way you can go with an irrelevant question. The other way you can go is you can simply say something like, oh, do you want ice cream? (laughs) Anyone? And you just go the distraction route and all of a sudden that question is just like, yeah, I do want ice cream. And you go, great, we don't have to deal with that anymore. There are some questions in life that are like that, that are just like, doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter what the answer is and where we get there. There are other questions in life that demand an answer. Now, the thing about Acts 5 is this is one of those questions, or this is a text that poses questions that demands an answer. It's not okay just to turn the page and say, well, that's difficult. Let's just read about the apostles arrested and freed. We have to dive in and we have to be prepared to explore and we have to be prepared to say, what is it that God is saying? And so that's what I wanna do this morning. I simply wanna propose two answers to two very simple questions. The first question is this, what the heck? (laughs) What, What is going on? What is this all about? What is going on here in this text right now? And then the second question, which is equally as important, is what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you and me here in Verdun in the year 2023? They're the two questions we're gonna explore. So I want you to just come and sit with me at my desk for a bit. Is that all right? As we work our way through this. So here's the thing. When we examine this, we have to understand there's three things that are gonna stand out to us. And it's always, we know this, we've gotta put the text in its context. So we have to understand as we look at Acts 5 that there's a particular context that's gonna shape our understanding of it. And when we understand the context, it might just help us understand the content. And the context of this, as we've looked at the book of Acts, is that the Holy Spirit has come upon a people for what purpose? To illuminate Christ. We've looked at this. We've said that in my former book, this is Luke writing, my former book, I, I, I talked to you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. The inference is that the book of Luke is about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Therefore, the book of Acts is about everything that Jesus continued to do and teach by the Spirit through the apostles. 
That's what the book of Acts is about. What Jesus is about, Jesus. Through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit always, always, always seeks to glorify Christ. That is who the Holy Spirit is, that He would teach them and remind them of everything Jesus had said and done, that He would draw people to Christ. And the picture of the book of Acts so far is the Holy Spirit comes upon a weak and feeble people, giving them boldness. Peter's in an upper room, Spirit comes, boldness, what does He do? Does He do a jig and a dance? What's the first thing He does, which gives us context for everything that is to come? Come on, Vedan. He preaches the what? The Gospel. He preaches the Gospel. And the call is repent. The first thing He does is not heal people. The first thing He does is preaches the Gospel. He points everyone to Jesus and in so doing, He says, repent. And the Holy Spirit comes in power to draw people unto repentance. That their hearts might be broken before a holy God and that they might say, I need Jesus. And so their lives are transformed and about 3,000 are added to the number. And then you keep going and there's this incredible picture at the end of that of radical relationship. You see, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of someone leading to a life of repentance, a repentant life leads to radical relationships where we begin to live in a way that is countercultural because the Holy Spirit is indwelling the hearts of human beings. And then something happens at the end of uh, Acts 2, we move into Acts chapter 3, we see healing. For what purpose? The proclamation of the gospel. So an opportunity comes to say, repent. And more are added as they see the power of God. They repent, the gospel is proclaimed. It's about Jesus. And so they come to faith and then then opposition comes against the disciples. And they're like, you're not allowed to speak in the name of Jesus. And I love what they say. We're like, well, effectively they're like, well, who the heck are you, bro? To tell us what name we can speak in. We're not gonna listen to you. We're gonna listen to God and we're gonna continue to boldly declare the message of hope because this is the hope of the world. The gospel is the hope of the world and we are called to bring this message by the power of the Spirit to call people unto repentance that the world might be saved because we need salvation. And so again, you see this radical move of God and you get to the the. the the closing section of four, sort of the middle section of four, where again, you see that repentance leads to radical relationship. Let's pick it up and remind ourselves from verse 32, because this is key to this context. Chapter four, verse 32. At the end of the believers praying and God moving, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, everyone say great power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace, everyone say great grace, was upon them all. So there was great power at work to bring about great grace. The hand of God to bring about this call to repentance and then a transformed life, great grace. There was not a needy person among them for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now watch this, here comes an example, verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, astute Bible readers in this place, something should have just pricked your interest. Because it says Joseph, who is 
called Barnabas because he was a son of encouragement, was a Levite. Now, now, nothing in the Word is wasted, church. You know this. Here's the question that I started asking myself. Why did a Levite have a field to sell? Because if we've been reading through the Old Testament, we know from the book of Numbers, especially, that Levites didn't own possession. They didn't own fields. The Levites' possession was the very presence of God. That was their lot. And the rest of Israel tithed to look after the Levites who were looking after the tabernacle so that the rest of Israel could encounter the presence. Levites didn't own fields. So we could ask that question. That's the first thing I asked. I'm like, well, why does, why does Barnabas have a field? And then I realised I was asking the wrong question because we can give a thousand different answers as to why he had the field. But here's the question is, why did he sell it? And in the context of what we've read for the previous, who's enjoying Bible study this morning? In the context of what we've read for the previous four chapters, I wanna suggest to you that Barnabas's gift is less about, the emphasis is less about this man being crazy generous because he's filled with the Spirit. It's more about this man having crazy repentance because he's been filled with the Spirit. That a Levite realising I own a field, having encountered the fullness of the gospel of grace, is so stirred up within him that he goes, this thing, I've got to get rid of it. That I'm going to, this is just me interpreting the text. But just maybe this is a radical act of Repentance. And if it's a radical act of repentance, having encountered the gospel, what would that do for everybody else? Encourage them. Have you ever, well, have you ever met someone or led someone to the Lord for the first time? You ever met someone who's a baby in their faith? And it's like, they walk into a church like, ah, there's a guitar, ah, God's so good. They walk up to someone in the shops and they're buying peas and like, oh, peas, they're green, just like the Garden of Eden. Can I tell you about Jesus? Anybody? And when you meet, when you spend time with someone who's got that fresh fire and their lives are just in this radical, ongoing repentance of Jesus is so good, what does it do to your soul? It encourages you. I think the disciples weren't, it wasn't because Barnabas gave a big gift. I think it was because Barnabas's life had been turned upside down. Like this is a son of encouragement. He's stirring our faith. And so in that context, where Barnabas is this picture of spirit comes, repentance, radical relationship. Spirit comes, repentance, radical relationship. Chapter five Begins with a but. Which means Luke, the author, remember Luke's smart, right? He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knows what he's doing. It begins with a but for a reason. Because what Luke is doing, I'm gonna use this word, is juxtaposing Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. That means he's putting them side by side for a reason saying, hey, I wanna show you something. In the early church, I wanna show you something. Here's this guy, here's a picture of repentance. Here's something else. Here's a picture of someone whose life has been transformed by the gospel through the power of the Spirit. Here's something different. And then he goes on and says, But a man named Ananias and Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property. But the outcome's very different because one person selling property and bringing a huge sum of money leads to this beautiful encouragement for the people of God. The other one causes two people to drop down dead. And that then causes me to ask another question. Why did they die? What the heck? Is this how God treats His children? If these guys, what is it about 
these people that causes this to happen. Because if, like, yeah, they lied, but do you know who else lied? A guy called Peter. And he didn't die. In fact, he received mercy. And you know, in, in a couple of chapters time, we meet a guy called Simon the Sorcerer, who he offers the disciples money so that he can have the gift of the Spirit. <laughs> and interestingly, Peter almost assumes that he's gonna drop down dead, but he doesn't. And people will use this passage as an illustration or an example. They'll say, well, the Holy Spirit just doesn't work the same way today anymore. I don't think that's true. In fact, as a church, we don't believe that's true. We are a continuationist church. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, that God is still moving by His Spirit in the world to bring transformation because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And we see even in the book of Acts that Simon the sorcerer doesn't fall down dead, but rather is extended mercy when he repents. So why do Ananias and Sapphira fall down dead? Can I bring you my thesis? In light of all of that context, my thesis is that throughout the Scripture, Jesus talks about types of people. He talks about these types of people who He would call sheep. And that sheep are people who are followers of Christ. They are God's children. Now there are, there's, there's healthy sheep, there's herding sheep and there's lost sheep, but they're all sheep. Then he talks about these type of people who he would call goats. And goats, it's kind of like the rich young ruler. You know, with a sheep, he says, I'll leave the 99 and I'll chase after the one. But with the, the rich young ruler comes, Jesus loves him, says he loves him. He rebukes him but he doesn't chase after him. And goats can get into the, the sheep's pasture and they sometimes can cause a bit of damage. But we pray that the goats would just be totally radically transformed because they're loved by God. But then there's this other type of people that Jesus speaks about and that Paul speaks about and he calls them wolves. I think that Ananias and Sapphira are not sheep. I don't think they're goats. I think the reason they fall down dead is because they're wolves. I'm just adding to the conversation. You can read all the commentaries you want. I'm just adding my thoughts. I genuinely think, why do they drop down dead? Because I think they're wolves in sheep clothing. I think Ananias and Sapphira have come to the church with malicious intent. Now, let me unpack this. We know we have an adversary. There is the devil who comes to steal, kill and destroy. The way that he comes to steal, kill and destroy often in the church is through deception firstly. And if he can't deceive you, he'll distract you and get you off purpose. But the enemy wants to kill the church. He hates the church. He hates the people of God. And we've got to understand that if the enemy... The, if the enemy wants to destroy the church, the best way that he can destroy the church is not by dressing up in, you know, fire and standing in the room like, you know, like the Princess Bride with the Dread Pirate Roberts. Anyone watch that movie? Where he's standing there and he's in the black and he's on fire and he's like, I'm coming for your soul. Like, sorry. <laughs> That's not, that, that's not the best way to come against the church. What's the best way to come against the church? To come as an angel of light, to come from the inside, to build relationship, to gain authority, to gain a position of power and to begin to create division and, and cause the church to split, right? Because sheep are vulnerable and sheep will follow. And so if the enemy can get in, he's not gonna be a wolf who comes and is content with just one and then off he goes. He wants to come and he wants to lead the sheep and destroy the sheep from the inside out. That's what the Word would teach us. Are you with me? I know this is heavy for a Sunday morning, but it's Acts chapter five and I'm not gonna pull away from it. We gotta understand this is the case. How better to do it in the early church? You've just seen Barnabas. And Barnabas has been so loved by these people. They're honouring him. He goes on to be a leader because why in this person's mind? Because he gave money. 
What are we gonna do? Let's give some money. Should we be vulnerable for one second? As a pastor of this church right now where we've purchased some land, praise God. Do you know what? If someone comes, like they've sold a field. We don't know how big this field was. Chances are that in modern day context, this could be millions of dollars. Someone comes up to me with millions of dollars in their hand. It's like, Dave, I just you know, feel convicted by the Spirit that this needs to go to the work of God. Do you know what my flesh does? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Pray, this is what I've been praying for in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Gee, you're a holy saint, aren't you? That's what the flesh does. That's not what Peter does. Because Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Lord has given him a discerning spirit and a discerning eye. And in this moment, he is able to see through all the stuff and he sees straight to the heart. And it's like God says to him, don't be distracted by the sum of money. Don't be distracted by any of that. This man has come with a deceptive spirit. There is an ulterior motive, call it out right now. So Peter just boldly just goes, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And friends, God will not be mocked. And I think this is a picture here that God is saying that I will guard my church. To the sheep, I go all the way to the cross. For the goats, I have come, I love them and I'm gonna bring that word and pray like long that they would be, become, but the wolves will suffer the wrath of God. If someone's heart is filled with Satan, they will suffer the wrath of God. And that's the next thing that sort of solidifies this point for me is because for the first four chapters, it's so-and-so filled with the Spirit did this. So-and-so filled with the Spirit did this. So-and-so filled with the Spirit did this. And then you go to chapter five and verse three, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Filled. You cannot have a heart that is filled with the Spirit of God and filled with Satan. No one can confess Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Spirit. So if you're able to confess and declare Jesus Christ is Lord, sure, you can be broken, you can be hurting, you can be led astray. You can have a lot of things that can come against you, but you cannot, if you're confessing Jesus Christ is Lord, you cannot have a heart filled with Satan. You cannot. Ananias' heart is filled with Satan, which means he cannot have a heart which is filled with the Spirit, which means he cannot be a Christian. Christians can have demonic oppression. The enemy can come against them. But you cannot have a heart filled. Filled means full. From bottom to top, completely immersed. You cannot be immersed with Satan and declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. So my thesis, church, is that Ananias and Sapphira come with malicious intent, with a gift as an angel of light, to gain authority and power, to start to tear the church apart. And God in this moment goes, no. Not now. Not yet. I'm not allowing this to happen in my church. And I think Peter is surprised. Like my... I would think that Peter was sitting here when he's like, I'm just gonna call this out. It doesn't say that he said to Ananias, you're gonna drop down dead. I reckon Peter's probably sitting there and Ananias hits the ground and Peter's probably like, what the flipping heck just happened there? I think everyone was, because it says that there was great power and there was great grace and now there's great fear. And then Sapphira comes along three hours later and Peter's like, all right, let's just test. Is she of the same spirit as her husband? He asked one question. And Sapphira's like, that's exactly where I'm at. She doesn't realise that she's answering, like revealing who she is. 
And then Peter with that same discernment's like, oh, well, I'm assuming because, you know, God dealt with him that way. I think that's about to be your lot. And then youth ministry happens. The young people come in. Imagine that for a youth event, Ben. Gives cleaning house and you know. Sorry. <laughs> That's what I think's going on here, right? That's what I think's going on here. I think this is a picture of God putting a stake in the ground saying, I'm not allowing the enemy to give you a foothold. And that's why then in the letters that follow, Paul regularly speaks and he's constantly saying, wolves will come upon you. He's saying, watch out, be careful. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. It's this constant recognition that there is an enemy who is trying to get in to the church and wolves is a thing that's gonna happen. So church, be discerning, be on your guard, be filled with the Holy Spirit that you might have the wisdom of God not to be deceived, not to be distracted, not to be turned away. Don't be caught up in the glitz and glamour of it. Someone who appears like an angel of light, but take your stand on the Word of God and be strong and courageous and press into the truth. That's what I think is happening here. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? As I've reflected on this and I've prayed upon this, I think what it means for us is a couple of things. First and foremost, be a sheep. Be a sheep. If you are someone here who has not given your life to Christ, do it right now. The stakes are far too high. Do it now, repent, give your life to Christ. Peter lied, Peter behaved in a manner far worse than Ananias. He denied his very Lord while he was hanging on a cross for the sins of humanity. And yet he received mercy because he had a repentant heart and because he just wanted to follow Jesus because he was prepared to die to self. And not only did he receive mercy, he ends up being the very person that is there when the, then this all transpires. He becomes that person of authority. You gotta understand, Peter must be sitting here thinking, why me? Like, why, why did I not have to go through this? Why do I get to sit here? Because he's a sheep. Be a sheep, give your life to Jesus. Hand the keys over to Him. There's too much at stake. If you are a herding sheep, if you are someone who is distracted right now, Repent, come back and sit at the feet of Christ. Marvel at His goodness, marvel at His mercy, marvel at His grace, that this all-powerful, mighty, glorious God would have mercy upon you because His wrath was poured out upon His Son. Turn to Christ. If you are a wolf, repent right now. I say this with love in my heart. Repent now because the wrath of God will come. If you are here in this place and the chances with a room this size, maybe there's one or two. If you have come here to gain position and power for the purpose of tearing some people apart, you repent right now because God sees you and God will expose you. Repent, guess what? The power of God is far greater than the power of darkness. And the lot of the enemy is eternal condemnation in a fiery pit of hell. But for the lot of all of those who would bow the knee and confess Jesus Christ is Lord, is glory with the Son for all of eternity. Repent. Confess. And let the Holy Spirit do His work that we might be drawn to the majesty of the Son.
I think that's it. I think that's what it means for us. This is a warning that we would realise this is serious. This thing that we do on Sundays and Fridays sometimes and gathering during the week sometimes and maybe praying in the mornings. This is serious. Yes, it's fun and we love each other and we laugh and we, it's all, it's serious. The gospel that we have is a serious, it is life and death. And I think seriousness came upon the church. Great fear came upon the church. Do you know what that word fear, it's phobos in the Greek. Do you know what it means? It means literally, Listen to this, it means to tremble. Another version means to have reverence for a husband. No, 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 stick with me. Who is Christ to the church? Come on. Who is Christ to the church? Who is Christ to the church? He's the husband to his bride, that's the picture. We are called to have great reverence. Great reverence for Christ fell upon the church because, that, because He put His stake in the ground. Great reverence for Christ fell upon the church. What does the Holy Spirit do? What is His purpose and function? To cause us to have great reverence for Christ. There's great power Amen. There's great grace. Hallelujah. But those two things cause us to have great reverence for Christ. Revere Him. That's what it means for us. Revere Christ. Honour Him as Lord. Throw everything off that hinders and so easily entangles and church, run the race. If you're 15 years old or if you're 95 years old, run the race. It's this is too important. It's too important. I don't care what your friends think. I don't care what the, the social media is saying. All of it is a distraction from the eternal purpose of God. He is primary. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. And you will receive mercy in your time of need. And church, mercy doesn't just mean blank slate. It means that we're seated with Christ on high. It means glory. Do you understand that? Do you know how much better that is than an extra hundred followers on Instagram? Do you understand that? Life with Christ. It's real. This is real. He's not messing around. Sheree, can you come? Because we have to finish. At some point we do. <laughs> I want to um, show you something that I, I found, which I think summarises the heart of what I think God is saying to us in this passage. And it's actually a poem written by John Piper. And some of you are like, well, I certainly was like, John Piper, I didn't know he wrote poetry. But I found this poem and the first time I read it, I actually couldn't stop crying. So I'm gonna try my best just to not cry in this, but I wanna invite all of you in a, just to close your eyes. Wherever you are, let these words wash over you. There in a lonely field unsold, the graves were only hours old, where Ananias and his wife lay dead because the breath of life, once freely given by their God, has freely ceased and thus the rod of wrath and justice fell upon their sad deceit. The light of dawn had not yet lit the dismal field, nor any crowing crow revealed the imminence of day. Beside the simple graves where he had cried through half the night, 
there on a stone sat Peter, staring numb alone. All night the scene ran through his head again and then again, the dread. Look on his face and awful sound as Ananias hit the ground and died at once because he lied to man and God for what? Some pride, some suicidal passion for a little cash, a little more to spend on what? Now from the grave. Oh, Ananias, why? Why crave? What you already owned. All night the scene filled Peter's mind and fight against it as he might. It came again. We sold a field and claim now in the presence of our Christ, this is the sum now sacrificed for love of Jesus and the poor. Take this, we pray, and may it cure some sickness of the flesh or soul. But even while he spoke, the whole deceit was opened to the mind of Peter by the Lord. I find your liberality smells more of hell than of our sweet Christ. Before you sold this field, was it not yours? And afterward the same? How lures this money then your soul to lie to man and God? What will you buy with money you have got by such a foolish scheme? However much in all the world will it recoup the cost of making God a dupe? Before he could say any more, the man collapsed and on the floor, the cunning seller of this land was dead, his money in his hand. And Peter stood as speechless as a corpse before the God who has the right to give and take the breath of life and set the time for death. For this was not his design, nor did he know that God so swift would rid the church of such a sin. And while he trembled there with brazen guile, Sapphira, Ananias' wife, appeared. And Peter thought, this life as well, O Lord, will you require? She smiled and said, it is my desire. Just like my husband's that the sum which by the grace of God has come into our hands by selling one of our large fields be given and none of it be kept for us. Praise be to God who is for us the key to wealth and happiness. The look on Peter's face perplexed and shook Sapphira for an instant. Then she smiled as Peter asked, and when you sold it, was it for this price? that you bring here, she said, precise. To the penny, like our love for Christ. And what we're dreaming of is you take this and bless the poor. We trust you, Peter, it is sure. A man of God does not deceive. She wondered at his tears. I grieve, he said, to ask why this accord, to test the Spirit of the Lord between you and your husband, when the world would have been yours? Or can you buy eternal life unpriced when you have made a fool of Christ? The feet of those who buried your accomplice come and it is sure as you were one in lying breath, God says you will be one in death. One mercy now remains. How brief today your widowhood and grief. All through the night again and then again, he cringed and saw the men first carry Ananias to the grave and then Sapphira through the fading light of day. The two limp flowers cut from where they grew and tossed away. But then as day began to break and night gave way to early morning grey, a sound pierced Peter's mind and turned around the way he saw the world. A bird crowing crow and when he heard the voice of his old friend the night came back to him when he in spite of all his boasts fell like a leaf before a breeze and his belief denied I do not know the man he said oh yes you're from his clan the servants of the priest declared we've seen you with him you're just scared 
To tell the truth, I do not know the man. He said again, you show that you're from Galilee by how you speak. And so he took a vow and with a curse said one more time, I do not know this man. The crime that he committed in those lies now rose before his weary eyes. A thousand times more heinous than Sapphira's lies or of the man who put her to it. Peter sat there trembling weak and stunned now at the difference. Lord, why? He cried. My sin is worse. Three times I lied while you were suffering for me. I I do not know why this should be, that they should die and I should live or how you wrath and mercy give. He lifted up his hands and said, Oh Lord, why did I not drop dead? And then the Lord replied, It's true, my friend, your sin was worse and you deserve the countenance of wrath far more than these two here. Your path led straight to hell. And if I would have let you go, no power could have kept you from the flames. I did not owe you this, nor is it hid from open sight that you, my friend, are saved by grace. And in the end are chosen unconstrained by good or evil deeds that would or could be made the root of my decrees. In heaven and on earth, I please the counsel of my wisdom first. For centuries, my name has burst the chains that laid on my will by man, when he presumes to shape my plan around his self-defining will, a futile thing, for I fulfill the purposes I formed before the world was made. Do not make war against my freedom, Peter. All that I have ever done to call and carry you is free. Receive. Receive this gift tremble as you grieve beside these graves. If it were not for grace, this would have been your lot. They fell before your feet to pray that you might know how you were saved. Then speechless Peter rose and set his face to follow Christ and let each breath and trace of faith display the way that sovereign grace holds sway. And now as we light, Candle too, may Christ illuminate me and you to see that we deserve no good from Him and sovereign justice would be served if all of us fell dead at Jesus' feet. But if instead we live and stand before His throne, let thanks be given for grace alone. And let the one who doubts say this, it is my everlasting bliss to know that God elects not by our works, but His decree. And I dare not use my iniquity to prove that He rejected me. O precious promise, sweet command, trust Christ alone and you will stand. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your Spirit has come in great power to bring great grace. And may we, with trembling hearts, live with great reverence for You. Father, I pray that each person here today would know the love of God that is theirs in Christ Jesus. That each person here would have power together with all the saints to know the height and the breadth and the depth and the length of the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, that we would know what You have done and that each one of us would turn from our wicked ways, that we would repent, that we would lay our lives down afresh, that we would re-surrender. Lord, that we would just with great joy, celebrate that it is not by might nor by power, but by Your Spirit, that we would celebrate that whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. And Father, we pray for each person here that we would walk in the freedom of the fullness of the Gospel of grace, that we would know that we have been saved, that we might go and proclaim that good news to the world, that this church would not ever 
be distracted or deceived by the cunning of the enemy, but that we like Peter would have eyes to see and discern, that we would fix our feet upon the solid rock of Christ, that we would walk in unity in the bond of brotherly and sisterly love and faith, seeking first the kingdom and its righteousness, never the things of this world knowing that You are the one who supplies all of our needs. Holy Spirit, we love You. We pray, have Your way right now. Have Your way. We thank You that You do not condemn Your sheep, but You do convict. You convict us of righteousness and You remind us that we are the righteousness of God only in Christ Jesus. You convict us of our sin and You call us to repentance and You convict us of judgment for the God of this age has been destroyed by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we stand on that promise that the enemy has been defeated, that death has lost its sting. And so we will arise in faith and strength say, here we are, send us, Lord, that we would go with great power, great grace and great reverence. In Jesus' Name and all God's children said, Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the Gospel, You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.